I've been able to attract extraordinary men. Like, we're talking incredible men that I met on dating apps with amazing jobs, beautiful hearts, charismatic, funny, passionate. Our chemistry is on just like really extraordinary men. But with on, on the backside of it, a deal breaker. So my next version of manifestation is the true full thing without a deal breaker. Mm, mm. You're listening to The Madeline Moon Show, a dating and relationship podcast that will bloom open your wild expression, deepen your emotional range, and expand your capacity for mythic love. Hi, Miss Jolie Dawn. Welcome to The Madeline Moon Show. So wonderful to be here, Madeline. Thank you. So happy to have you here. It feels so sweet to have one of my besties here on the podcast. First guest since the rebrand of the podcast. I was like, immediately, I have to have on Jolie. That feels so natural, so fun, so exciting, so relevant to all the things. Everything that I feel I'm moving through in my life feels very similar to what you're moving through in your life. And so it felt like, let's capture this moment now. Reminds me of our sauna chats. I feel like we go so deep when we're in our little healing box. I always want to share the insights that you Mm -hmm. share with me and are shared with each other. So it's sweet to capture it. That's a great podcast idea. Sauna, naked sauna chats. It's like there's a little microphone inside of the infrared sauna and everything is captured. And, you know, it's a peep show all in once. Right. (laughs) So I want to start with our story of how we connected Mm -hmm. because... It feels like a sweet story that I just love about our friendship. So I had known about you for years. All these mutual friends were like, do you know Jolie Dawn? And I'd be like, no. Why do people keep asking me this? Why does she keep getting brought up? And it was like I was almost jealous of you without even knowing you for whatever reason because of all the success that you have had. You kept being brought up about your success. I was like, who is this woman? And then I went to Kauai a year and a half ago, two years now, Yeah, uh, during my breakup. And I was staying in a Airbnb with my friend and my friend was like, hey, uh, Jolie Dawn is here and she wants to go out for lunch or like a play date out in Kauai. Do you want to come? And I was feeling a little like, oh, Jolie. And I was like, sure, I'll come. And at the same time, Jolie was having stuff come up about me joining her and her friends, our friends, little play date. So I tagged along. And uh, there was a few things that Jolie said during this Kauai date, one of those things being that she had just bought a house. And my mind was blown. I was truly like, wait. You just, I know it's not that simple, and I always make it sound simple when I re-say what you said, but you said it in a simple way, like, yeah, I bought a house and had it furnished and then had it rented out, boom, boom, boom. And I was like, what? We can do that? So I went home, and then I looked for homes, and I realized I can buy a house. I can afford to buy a house with a down payment. Got started on the process, and then got a house. And it turned out to be four minutes down the street from Jolie. And we didn't even realize that. So just really amazing how that inspiration thread grew, how you just were saying something and I took it so to heart, seeing you, hearing how you did something. 
And I feel like that's been a beautiful thread in our relationship, just mutual inspiration. And I'm always so inspired by you and your capacity for dreaming and your capacity for like doing your dreams, saying, I want that, figuring it out, having the capacity to figure it out. That's a whole thing for women is like, we can dream about it, but having the capacity to sign all the papers, do all the bank stuff, talk to all the people, have all these conversations, like it requires so much wideness to be wide, to be able to hold all of that. And I was really just so blown away. And since then, our relationship has just continued to deepen and grow in such beautiful ways. Madeline, you're one of the top most important people in my life. Mm. I just love you so much. I get so much from our connection. And I feel like there's a, an especially nurturing quality when somebody is like you and then not like you. And I feel like mm. we're that all in one. There's mm. so many similarities mm -hmm. and there's so much contrast. And oftentimes I've found through my lifetime that some of my closest people, we bounce off each other in the beginning. Mm. Yeah. In our first meeting, we, we barely engaged <laughs> with each other. But I noticed you because we went mm. up to the North Shore of Kauai and I brought you to a cave. And when you got into your prayer field, Mm. And I felt your depth and I felt your presence and I felt you get the holiness of where I've just brought you. Mm. Like you win me over right there mm. when we're on the same wavelength on, on the priestess path. And we frolicked in the waters and I was like, okay, I see you. But we didn't really exchange much words at yeah. all until we land in Austin. I moved back. You bought your house. And I was like, by the way, where do you live? Mm. I Google it. We're four minutes away. <laughs> and then mm. our friend circle collides and, and here we are. And the depth of your perspective, like what you've brought into my life was a lot of places where I feel like my awareness had been missing. Mm. And you have this very qualified, practiced vertical of awareness and relationship teaching. And when I read your book, Artist of Love, my mind was blown. And it feels like you filled in these places that I didn't know needed to be filled in. It's true. Let me cry. <laughs> Thank you. It's really, really warms my heart. And it's, it is funny how at the beginning there was, you know, I, I tell my students that before there's an opening, there's oftentimes a closure. There's a closure and then an opening. It's like anytime, you know, you get a compliment on the street from a stranger. A lot of times there's a closure like, what? What, what do you want? And then there's an opening. It's like, oh, you just called me beautiful. Like, I can receive that. You're safe. You're harmless. And I think that that is a thing that women can experience together, especially when there's a magnetism and there are things available for each other to show each other and hold each other through and teach each other. It's like our bodies intuitively know, oh, there's like some inevitable vulnerability and deepening here. Can I trust that? And then us leaning in, which we did radically quick, like once we both got Austin, and Jolie has been there for me through, I mean, I'm just like, I have so much karma with finger incidents and just like, just incidents in general. And she's always the person that I'm reaching out to just like, oh my God, I got hurt. I'm in the emergency room. And then you call me and then you check in on me. And I'm just so grateful for everything that we have been creating this year. Good memories Good and memories. chaotic times. Yeah, very chaotic <laughs> times. So I would love to start our uh, deepening in the Jolie Dawn journey Talking a bit about your uh, childhood, because this podcast is specifically around love, and we cannot complete the conversation about love if we don't talk about where we came from, what we witnessed in love, our experiences with the first people who we ever loved. 
and how that comes into our journey today and with the men that we date or women that we date or experiences that we have, how we have alchemized and deepened and transmutated where we've come from to where we are now. And then we'll explore a little bit more about where you're going. Mm. So wherever you want to start with, with that. You know, I've been reflecting on this lately. I've surprised myself of how far I've come. Hmm. And I feel like it's not the life that I'm living wasn't the predictable life. It was a life that because I had my awakening young, I had lots of mentors and supporters that came into my world. And I just feel extraordinarily lucky and blessed that there's this this fortitude of my soul and spirit that has overcome a lot. And I feel like it truly is a miracle to be a regulated, happy successful human being if you've Mm. come from a very dysregulated environment. We're never taught that from a young age. Mm. So I'll give a little brief snapshot into the house I grew up in. I received a lot of love from my parents. They were in their 40s when they had me. They really wanted a baby girl. They got their boy. They got their girl. So I felt very wanted and I felt very loved. And also, my parents were both really traumatized people that had been through a lot in their lifetime. Dad had been to Vietnam War at 18 years old. It was, would you like to be drafted or would you like to enlist? Those were basically his two options. So he enlisted, became a helicopter pilot, was gunned down in a helicopter twice where his helicopter hit the ocean and he was the only one that survived twice in his lifetime. We always called him the nine lives. And back then, PTSD, that was the first time we'd ever even heard the word PTSD. And so he had so much trauma locked away what he saw in war and what he experienced in his lifetime. Also, to be a pilot in the 1960s in Vietnam, all the pilots were given amphetamines to be able to stay in the air for 16 hours at a time. And that created a a very long multi-decade relationship Mm. with amphetamines, including methamphetamine. So I was conceived when he was on methamphetamine meets my mother. They're uh, in their late 30s. It's their one last chance to have a family. Hmm. They've never had children. They get together. My mom had no idea what she was getting into with someone with very complex mental health issues going on, addiction issues. He brought her into the world of addiction. So the entirety of my childhood, I watched my mom's light diminish when she started drinking heavily, partying, gambling, And then um, my entire childhood, she was on and off of opiates, Hmm. mostly on with the occasional rehab. So I probably visited her in rehab about eight times. So she was numb. She was numb. She was emotionally numb. I spent a lot of time alone. I spent spent a lot of time wondering why I wasn't valued enough to be picked up from school on time and why I was walking home and why plans were changing and why they weren't there. I learned how to be very independent at a very young age and to not only get my emotional needs met, but figure out the entirety of the emotional needs of the family and try to step in. Mm. I feel like I became a life coach at like 13. Uh. Try to help my mom with her depression and her unhappiness. And there was a lot of chaos, fighting, dysregulation. I can, I think now as I'm learning more and more about the regulation of the nervous system, if that had even been a conversation in my household, like, okay, we're all dysregulated right now. We were just one big dysregulated unit Hmm. with just moments and glimpses of being regulated at the same time. And then when I was 20, in college is when 2008 economic collapse was happening. There's a lot of chaos. 
it was really hard on my family because gambling addiction always, we were always behind financially, even though my parents were both earners and high earners. And we never had a savings account. My, neither of my parents ever had a savings account. We were always just paycheck to paycheck or the car got repoed. It was just a lot of feast and famine. And when 2008 hit in the law firm that my dad owned and ran, the business really dried up. People weren't like proactively working on their estate planning and all the things that he did. And it really triggered him into a complete mental health collapse. He got triggered into mania. He's going through a lot of things in his physical body. And for a year, his mental health was just collapsed. He would go missing on his sailboat, missing court dates. He got two DUIs. We bailed him out of jail. He lost his attorney's license. He lost his pilot's license. He was in a very dark place in life. And then he ended it. Mm -hmm. He ended it. And I inherited at 20 years old the caretaking role of my mom, who immediately went into rehab because he was supporting her getting opiates through his name so that she mm. would have like, you know, 20 prescription pills a day. So she goes into rehab, almost dies in rehab. Her heart almost stops because she's now in her 60s going into rehab. And for the next nine years, I did emotional and physical caretaking for my mom. Every one of her bills was in my name. I supported her life. She was in a deep depression, frozen in trauma until she passed when I was 29. Mm. So in a way, my life started when I was 29 because it was the first time I was free from the huge burden of my family. Mm. And, you know, there were moments with my mom where we had sweet memories and she showed up for me and always like encouraging me on my path. And for the most part, both when both of my parents passed, it was a huge relief because they didn't want to be on the planet. Mm. They felt complete. And I didn't wish either one of them back. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate this set and setting to be able to just have this beautiful space to hear about your journey in more details because I'm learning so much about you. I've known about these things, but in this kind of way, it's really like, it makes me even more admire what you have fucking moved through. Holy shit. Yeah. What you have alchemized. Like I have goosebumps right now because you could have taken a different path you know, you could have taken this path of resentment and despair and disbelief and the power of relating and relationship and stability. Like you very much could have follow, followed suit with that. And you are one of the most like rock solid humans that I know. And like you have this beautiful balance between um, uh, what you call sacred ratchet. <laughs> ratchet. I'm going to put sacred in front of it. Sacred ratchet. Like being able to just party and have fun. And then also like girls got to grind, got to like set up the queendom and the business and uh, create generational wealth. Mm -hmm. Like that's something that feels very apparent in your life is like creating wealth, not only for you, but like what you're building. And, mm -hmm. and even the name queendom, mm -hmm. you choosing that feels like its own, uh, its own like dharma and where you've come from is building a queendom that then you get to invite perhaps family into and children then too. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the questions that came up for me just out of curiosity, what was the one thing you wanted the most as a kid? The one nutrient that you wanted the most? I wanted peace. Mm. I think it, there's tied. I wanted peace and I wanted presence. Like mm. I wanted my 
family to just be there, Mm. you know, because there was the casino thing happening and we lived in Southern California where there was a Vegas-like casino just like 25 minutes from our house. My parents clocked a lot of hours there, Mm. a lot of time at the blackjack table and the slot machines where their whole social network was. And I was alone a lot. So I wanted them to just be around. And then peace, I just remember times where my parents were fighting and I was in the backseat of the car and being like, it was just felt like a broken record to me because I could hear what they were fighting about. They never hit it. And I thought it was always about money. Mm. Always, always, always about money. It was always blaming each other for something. They both really struggled with taking personal responsibility, something I learned. And I remember being young and saying to myself, like, I don't care if I have nothing. I refuse to fight about money. I refuse that Mm. to be the thing that creates chaos and conflict in my life. Like, I could see how silly it was, and I could see the pattern happening as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One train of thought in being an adult dating people is that we date partners that feel like our parents. Mm -hmm. And in the uh, Harville Hendricks world, that's a very big train of thought is that we take, we find the the best and the worst qualities of our parents. And then we're like kind of always on the search for a person that has like that charisma, that charm, that warmth, but then also has that fill in the blank, that addiction or that aloofness, whatever it may be. Have you ever felt like that's the case for you that you dated people who felt like they had the the best and the most wounded traits of your parents? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see it clearly. Mm-hmm. I can see it clearly. I can see with mom the short fuse and the not trusting it fully. And I can see with dad this persona of I've got it all handled, outsource your power to me. I feel like both of those things had have shown up previously mm-hmm. in relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you saw it like arising, what did you feel? Like, did it feel like, okay, this is my invitation to lean in and do the work around this? Or or this is my invitation, like, like maybe more it's more unconscious, but I'm going to change this. I'm going to change this in them or I'm ignore. Change this. Yeah. You know, the thing I took from both of my parents is both of them chose not to live. So for me, it felt like I had this sacred duty to God and life itself to choose to be here. Mm-hmm. And it felt like because I was exposed to death so young, it felt like I had nothing to lose. And so the desire that I had as a child to change my parents, especially mom, because I had nine years with her and I started my awakening journey at 21. She passed when I was 29. And just the amount of energy that I poured into that woman to get her to see life in a new way and never being received mm. and not being able to change her mm. has very much informed the work that I do. Because now when I give and I'm received, it's the best feeling ever. Mm. And when I do this in relationships, I had the years leading up to her death where I knew she was dying. I knew she was like her soul was slowly retracting from her body. I knew her death was imminent and it was her love that I craved the most. So just this ongoing grief layer that lived in my life. Mm. It was really intense. And this sort of started at like 27, 28, 29. That's when I was in, I think, the most chaotic relationships of my whole life. I had always prided myself on being in very healthy relationships. In my early 20s, I had attracted some beautiful kings in my life that just changed the trajectory of my world forever that I'm dear friends with to this day that I admire to this day, very clean energetics. And in my late 20s, I started attracting chaos, wounding, 
wanting that motherly love and being in a, a situation with somebody where I was trying to change them, trying to get them to see the world in a different way, and I couldn't. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And today, what do you find is the most um, at 34? 34. 34. What do you find is the, mm, say, energy that you attract, energy that you 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 attract whether or not that's like the dream energy that you're calling in like what do you find now is the um type of person that you date and um what does that give you mm -hmm. so i'm in the season of life where i have built my queendom my company prosperity queendom inc i've set myself up mm. i've figured out how to create for myself in a way that I once never dreamed of the kind of safety and security I just am so grateful for. And I've come to this place where I feel the deep yearning to be in divine union mm -hmm. and call that person in and create a family. Oh, the yearning in my body to be a mother and to be a wife and to give to a family. I'm going to crush mm -hmm. it. I'm going to mm -hmm. crush it. I know it. It's going to be a beautiful life. It'll be the my most favorite version of myself that I've ever been. I can yes. see that. Yes. And I've I've gotten the opportunity opportunity to do an incredible amount of work on my experience of my own worthiness. Cuz that was the thing that was so chipped away at as a child. The inner little wounded girl in me does not feel like she is worthy of love mm. or of greatness or of someone's presence and devotion, specifically their integrity to be told the truth to and that emotional safety. And I feel like what I have attracted is um, the almost thing, mm. the, cl the close thing something really beautiful but there's a caveat where it just simply won't work so beautiful men in my life has mm. recently and there's always this thing that is a deal breaker that is unworkable mm -hmm. and so I feel I can see the pattern of like okay so the last two men that I've really been in love with the last two have been in love with they we couldn't go into the future because there was such a deal breaker on the table for me that that was a no so I could be right now in this temporary thing but it's not the full thing that I could create a life with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that is something that I hear a lot from people of looking for their dream partner, looking to call in the one, whoever the one is, you know, there's probably many ones for all of us that we can have beautiful, fruitful relationships with, but calling in the the king to make babies with, to make a life with. And in the meantime of calling him in, perhaps like having these sacred flings with people or going deep with people because you know that you'll receive some kind of nutrient or nourishment in the meantime. And you know, one of the things you and I have talked about a bit is this topic of what is that? How do you hold those, both of those things together? How do you hold the vision of calling in your dream partner, seeing him when he's around, knowing when he's around, and also not not um, being a martyr for the process because some people will completely become this kind of, I call it like a Hathorian, like the Hathor deity, like the Hathor energy of like, I will not entertain any other person except for him. 
And sometimes that makes it really hard to actually be able to explore whether or not someone is him because your mind is making this decision immediately from the beginning. And maybe it's not him. Maybe it's not your dream partner. But when we uh, – because ultimately it's a withhold of love. When we withhold love from each and every person that crosses our path because we immediately say they're not the one, they're not the one, they're not the one, I don't know. I, I definitely won't speak in absolutes, but I don't know if for the path of the feminine heart, that is the juiciest. I think there's always different seasons. Sometimes it is definitely time for a masculine cleanse and you don't date anybody and you just take time away to like really feel yourself, cultivate your own masculine, learn how you rely on men in order to give you a certain nutrient. How do you outsource? And those periods are really helpful to be able to be your own masculine for those who outsource, 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 daddy, 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 take care of me, take care of me, take care of me. So having a container of going all in with yourself and not entertaining other men can be really supportive. And if you know that that's not necessarily needed, that that's not your your struggle at this time and you feel really, no, I feel like I'm not outsourcing my power. I'm just calling in my king and he's not here yet. And there are these opportunities to explore with other people in the meantime. You know, I think that that is a really beautiful experience for someone to have to learn the art of keeping their their body oriented towards their king while also being able to receive pleasure and beauty and connection, even if that person isn't in that role. Because ultimately, you're going to meet your king someday, and he may not feel like your king in a moment. He may feel like the farthest thing from your king in a specific moment. And those processes and practices of learning how to let in love, even when we're not with the one, I think can really be translated to those moments when you are with your king and he's not feeling like the one, but you still allow connection in the in the forms that it wants to come in. You still allow pleasure in the forms that it wants to come in with him or with life, with eating like breakfast. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I hear you on all of this. And I, I think back to my masculine cleanse. I was not dating at all for the entirety of the 14 months that I lived on Kauai. And I was clear, this mm. is my time to go inward. That island gave me the opportunity to face boredom in a way that I've never faced myself. You can only go to a beach so many times before mm. it starts to feel mundane, even yeah. the most beautiful paradise. And the the depth of connection that I built with myself over the, those 14 months is just ugh, invaluable and will be with me for the rest of my life that I know that I've got me no matter what. And I don't think I really got that until I was 32. And then coming back to Austin, the dating scene here is lit. It's really, there's so many people here. It's the right people here. Everyone knows Austin is like the mm. place where the people are. Mm. And I've had a lot of success meeting really incredible men. And I feel like I needed to be in that practice because I felt awkward. I felt like men were kind of scary. I felt way out of practice. It had been a very long time for me. How many How many years? My last boyfriend was seven years ago. Oh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. When I remember that fact and like just watching you this year mm -hmm. of like dating men, like knowing that there was a period where you weren't dating men and it was scary to date men and just watching how you've so beautifully 
um, navigated this territory. Mm-hmm. It's like really, really a testament to what the, those 14 months in the void, in the void space did. In the void. Yep. Because after 2016, I had a five-year period of dating women. So in same-sex relationships and three of them. And then the last one ended and I felt what was true for me, which was a calling to be with men. Hmm. That was my deepest truth and my deepest yearning and my deepest desire. And it had also been a long time. And I'm like, how do you do this? It's so different with the energetics between two women. And I ended up having a little bit more of a, a masculine way of being where I would pursue. And that that's not who I am mm. with men. And so I got to learn it over again. And I was um, in Europe for the summer of 2022, and it was my first lover. I met this British lover who was amazing. How'd you meet him? On Tinder. Oh, Tinder. Good old Tinder. Yeah, I remember watching your your stories very lightly because if if you don't capture like that first story we're explaining something, you never really know what's going on, right. you know? So I think I just captured like an, one of the stories and it was just a picture of you holding someone's hand in the car and said, British boo. <laughs> Jolie, you have to follow her on Instagram because she will document her dating stories and she calls them different like blank boo, like New Orleans boo. Yeah, Baton Rouge uh, boo and the ba- executive oh, country boo. boo. Yeah, I did country a boo, boo Baton Rouge boo, British boo. <laughs> Yeah. I was sharing my dating chronicles out loud and in real time as it happened and letting people in on it. That's the most story views I've ever gotten to date. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Is dating. It's really funny, like the things that, you know, catch like it's always for me. This is just totally off topic, but it's always for me when I share a story of a plate of like food. (laughs) Like if I eat chicken fingers, which is my favorite food in the whole world, if I show a picture of it, like 15,000 views on that story. Wow. Yeah, it's really insane. It's wow. a plate of chicken fingers. Okay. Anyways, okay. Mine has been dating. Yep, it started with the British boo. And so the impending thing was I was leaving. So we had two weeks together. Mm. So it was like, okay, how can I open and practice love in this two-week period? And we had so much fun together. He drove me all around the sacred sites. I brought him places that he had never been to before in the English countryside. I met his parents. We went to a festival with wow. his parents and his auntie and uncle and his parents' friends. And we saw Paloma Faith sing only love can hurt like this was just like beautiful Mm. like lifelong memory and then landing back in austin it was a few months before i met the executive country boo he did not want more children and had a vasectomy so it was like okay Mm. we're a match you're really rad i'm really rad could we do this thing temporarily we kind of created a construct of let's do this for three months we met in october and like let's do this till the end of the year let's spend the holidays together and christmas together and then when january 1st hits we're done and we really stuck to that and there was really not much contact after january 1st and that was like a lover that drifted into the memory banks Hmm. and now i'm in kind of the same situation now there's a there's a deal breaker around the the family and the vision that is a no for me, but he's an incredible man mm-hmm. and I'm receiving so much from his love and he sees me and he gets me. He gets all of the nuance. I'm a very particular type of flavor for people mm-hmm. and he loves all of it mm-hmm. and it's just helping me remember what I bring to the table. He never lets me forget. And he's also really aware that we won't work for the future. And he's showing me in practicing unconditional love. Mm. And so one of the things that I'm doing right now is it would be very easy to get lost in the Baton Rouge boo world and be just so immersed. His, His love is so intoxicating. And he's an incredible, big hearted man. And 
one of the things I'm doing is is making sure that there's time for myself, that we're not completely merged, and that I'm still speaking to my beloved. Like last night, I was journaling, talking to my beloved. I'm I'm ready for you. Where are you? Mm. <laughs> A little demanding. And keeping that line of connection open to the energetics of who my king is while also having needs fulfilled in the moment right now and not being closed off to it. Mm-hmm. And I think the only way this works is just being 100% communicative and leaving nothing off the table of my truth. Mm-hmm. Like my truth has been spoken with such precise clarity that he knows what he's saying yes to. And there's no part of me that's hiding or trying to cover it up or lessen what my experience is. And I think that that's the responsible thing to do if you're dating somebody and you know they're not your person, that they need to know that and make a choice if this is something that they want to continue with. And we were on for a few months. We took a 30-day break because I feel like it was getting confused. I was getting confused. He was getting confused. And then when we reconnected this second go, it just was like, there's such a soul level attraction and such a sweetness between us even if it's only for this next night or this next moment we would be so grateful Mm -hmm. and knowing that there's an impending ending but not putting a time pressure of like this is the end date on it Mm -hmm. and I am receiving so much from it and I'm also learning to navigate how am I manifesting my beloved and the one that I'm going to create a family with while also having that place filled currently Mm -hmm. in my life Mm -hmm. Whew, so, like so many questions are popping up for me as you're talking about this. One of them is just for everyone listening that relates to this. How would someone, how would a woman know if things are getting too complicated and it is time to end it, to refocus? How do you know when you're merging with the lover? And it, it starts like we talked about the martyr of no, I can't like, I can't receive pleasure. And then the other side of the martyr of um, like uh, overindulgence and something that's not the forever thing Mm -hmm. and losing yourself in it. What are those little ways that she begins to lose herself and signs that it is time to, like what you did with your country executive boo of setting that final end date? Yeah. Yes. So I will speak from my own experience of the way that it has felt and what was happening in my body. So when the Baton Rouge boo and I were on our V1 of our relating, I had tried to apply the same construct from the executive country boo to this one. And I was like, all right, let's let's end this night. We chose an end date. And our grand finale of our relationship was going to be to go to San Diego and go on this trip. And we rented a beach Airbnb and I brought him to a wedding after party with me. We just, (laughs) we were so in love on that trip. And when we came back to Austin, I was like, I don't want to end it right now. Like, I just feel so open. I feel so attached to you. And the whole thing was around, well, I guess I'll, I'll answer it this way. When I came back from San Diego, I started to diminish the feeling that I had felt, which is this deal breaker, Madeline, is a real one for me. It's a very clear no. There's a lot of people that are like, Jolie, turn that no into a yes. Be okay with those things. This is your person. And for me, it's just, it actually is a no. And that's not wavering. It's not changing. And the V1 of our relationship, I was wavering. Mm. I was telling the story on my newsletter, going out to 
over 10,000 people saying respond with what you would do. And I was asking my friends, what would you do? What would you do? And really just like there was so much perception. Of course, I'm bringing him to parties and everyone's like, oh, my God, he's amazing. Y'all are amazing. We love him. Yeah, bring him. Bring him to everything. And I would want people to love my lover. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I started getting confused and it was deeply affecting my body. So I'm a very sensitive sleeper. So if something's on my mind and on my spirit, I simply do not fall asleep at night. And I was triggered in a huge bout of insomnia. And obviously, not getting enough sleep affects every area of your life. It's very hard to function, especially with the level of responsibility that I have in my life. So I was just noticing I was just dysregulated and I was confused and I was drained, so drained by it. And I just asked him, I'm like, I just need to clear my head. I could feel there was many sensations in my body and I could feel like it was taking more from me than it was nourishing. And then when we reconnected after our 30-day fast, I completely released him. I'm like, you have my full blessing to go be with date, be with other women. Please release me. I, You would know this. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. There was no plan to re-engage this relationship. Mm-hmm. There was no plan at all until I felt him. And I felt something shift in him, which was he was no longer attempting to change my mind, mm-hmm. which he had been doing the first round. He was very eager to... Win, win it over in a way that would like change this deal breaker for me. And he came to me. He's like, Jolie, what I feel for you is absolute unconditional love. My ego has been just obliterated and you have given me gifts of who I am. Like I've never loved myself more ever mm-hmm. in my whole life. And every moment that I get to be around you and near you is a gift. And so the gift you've given me, I'm so full. I can't be greedy now. Mm. And if there's anything in this exchange that you want to continue, I understand you're manifesting your person. I understand that this is not the template of family that you want. And he gave me his complete blessing. And so there's so much psychic space for me to operate in and just actually receive the connection that's between us. And it's been a very sweet connection. Mm. Yeah, it's such a such a beautiful experience because I have gone through my own experience of what um, Baton Rouge Boo uh, did for you of in that, again, void space of the, you know, no connection, kind of nothingness, feeling the unconditional love emerge. Sometimes when we want something so badly, there's no there's no boredom or space or room or void for the unconditional love to come forward. And it's a lot of times when we – doesn't have to be losing the person, but it can be being in disconnection from the person that we start to feel the unconditional love like come forward. And I, I love that um, distinction that you're offering between the merging and the spaciousness is knowing that the person that you're in this connection with is fully, deeply on board with what your vision is. There's mutual respect for each other's vision. And I'm sure you're also holding for him the highest good in the partnership he wants. And then he's holding for you the highest good of that partnership. And I think that's really, really, really what's needed Mm -hmm. for loverships to be successful is like, it's not just communication. We're always, communication's key. It's understanding the communication. It's receiving the communication, really letting what you're communicating in. How often do we communicate about something, but we're not letting it into our bodies? 
And it's oftentimes how we we really accidentally get into fantasy world or we start to lose ourselves. Again, I, I love that you talk about the process with the previous man that you were dating of entertaining, not holding on to your deal breaker. And I think that that's really important for some people to go through, everyone. It's like when we're tasting a new flavor of something, there has to be the period of, of judgment of like, do I like this? Do I not like this? Is this good? Does this work for me? Can I try this on? Before we know what we are a deep no to, we have to explore, we have to taste it. And when we go into martyrdom is when we've explored, we've tasted it, and we've come to our own decision, but we're acting different anyways. That's when we start kind of, um, it's not like bludgeoning ourselves, but it's like when we start beating ourselves up and becoming a martyr for something we know is not good for us. You know? I've only had like, I mean, I've had lots of relationships, lots of relationships. I love relationships, but I've only had probably a handful of like very clear lovers mm. because for most people that I've dated, if I go into any kind of physical interaction, it's with the idea that well, we might be partners. Like we're working towards partnership and we are sharing ourselves physically, working towards partnership to see if this is a fit. And I've probably had only a few people that I've been like, you are going into the lover category. It's just really, it's really challenging. Yeah, it is. The, the yeah, the trading of like energy in that way can be really, that's been really challenging for me. I feel like when he leaves my house after we've just connected and I'm like, oh, it's like this reminder that he's not mine. Mm. And that's something I get to constantly check in with myself around. And I don't know how long this is going to last. Mm -hmm. Like in this exact moment of time, it's working. It's highly functioning. We're both getting needs met. We're both growing tremendously. I'm getting to practice being devotional and speaking my truth. And it's it's contributing greatly to mm -hmm. my life. And I feel without doubt it's getting me closer to what I want. Mm -hmm. And being in this lovership is is accelerating me to the path of meeting my king more than it would be if I were alone. Mm -hmm. I can just I can sense that mm. I can feel it. And I'm getting more clear about the subtle nuances of what I desire and the way that I envision family. And, and I, I, I feel that deep within me that, that this is, it's bringing something that's necessary into my life. Hmm. And then your, your previous question about what I've been able to attract, I definitely see the pattern of I've been able to attract extraordinary men. Like we're talking incredible men that I met on dating apps with amazing jobs, beautiful hearts, charismatic, funny, passionate. Our chemistry is on just like really extraordinary men, but with on, on the backside of it, a deal breaker. Mm -hmm. So my next version of manifestation is the true full thing without a deal breaker. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite dating app? You know, it's been Bumble because I feel like it's um I'm able to curate the experience more because I have to be the one to reach out first. I've been telling myself I want to switch to Hinge, but I just haven't yet. And now I'm not really on Bumble. But really, it doesn't quite matter the app. I don't think it's the matter of the the way that you use it. Mm -hmm. I really, um, I'm really into tarot and oracle cards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I treat it like tarot. So I, I get quiet. I first feel what I want. And this is exactly how I manifested Baton Rouge Boo into my life. I was extraordinarily clear on what I was asking for. I could feel it. I could feel him. And then oh, there he was. 
And because you're looking for the unicorn in a sea of the entirety of the mixed bag. Mm -hmm. And it can become a time suck and incredibly inefficient. And for me, I would just get quiet. I would feel exactly what I wanted to feel. And I would kind of just like zoom out energetically and feel the pool of men that was on Bumble. And I would tune in and ask, is there somebody for me? Is there a match there for me? And I would read the energy on it. And then I would let a a number come to my mind between zero and 20. And that's how many times I swipe, period, either left or right. And if it's not there in the first 20, it's not there for me. And so if I did make a match, I would go right to audio message. Hi, this is Jolie. So lovely to meet you. I find that it's more personal to say hello on audio messages. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm looking for. I would love to hear an audio message back. Notice my voice changed a little mm-hmm. bit. Goes a little bit deeper. A little, little sultry, yeah. a little tuned in. And the right man receiving something like that mm. is just like, whoa, who are you? Mm-hmm. You're the unicorn. I'm the unicorn. Hi. And that's exactly what happened with Baton Rouge Boo. I had just hosted a retreat. I had given so much to yeah. 26 women and I was tired and I was tired on a very particular level, just like my feminine was tired after this retreat. And I laid on my bed. I was like, spirit. I need a man. And if my beloved and my husband, it's not coming soon, I need a lover. And I need a man to just hold me, to co-regulate with me and just simply lay next to me and hold me. That's that's my prayer. And Baton Rouge Boo and I were on like a phone call within an hour making a date for that Friday. And we just had the most fun date. Hmm. Wine tasting, comedy show. We're just like running around Austin on this little tear, like you said before, the the sacred party. I forget mm-hmm. what sacred ratchet. Sacred ratchet. I have that in me for sure. You we do. We need to do something a little dangerous, mm-hmm. adventurous, off the cuff, surprise me, <laughs> take me somewhere new. And that to me is the best memory. Mm. And I typically opt out of dinner dates because I like to eat what I like to eat at home and then pick me up. I'm already full. Now let's go on a tear and like mm. actually create a memory together. So whether it's a good date or not, or I'm into you or not, I've just had an experience that is fun for me. <laughs> mm. And I think that's a beautiful way to be creative in love. Yeah, It's like you want to have the entire experience be creative mm-hmm. and be different and be fun. Um, yeah. And I think that's a beautiful testament to intention because I remember that night. I remember after you led that retreat, we were messaging a little bit and I could feel the grief and from the grief led to like deep, deep witchery. <laughs> like the grief led to the witchery of, okay, I need to work some magic here. I need to get really intentional on what I want rather than just like being like in, sometimes there are times to be indulgent in the grief and just like really rest into the container of grief. And then sometimes it's like, okay, I feel grief and it's a messenger saying I need something and I can have this something. So you did your magic. And then another thing that I would love to talk about is sometimes what else you do on dates. Like you'll have them come over and you'll do like a little like, you know, what is it? A little spread, a little. I show them the parts of my personality and my range right off the bat. So with Baton Rouge Boo, he picked me up and I, he asked if he could pick me up. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Mm. That's a big yes for me. And we had had FaceTime calls. So I, the trust was there. And I invited him in and we set intentions over rose milk tea. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, 
It was a lot for him. He was like, whoa, but like, this is my space. This is how I live. This is the queendom. Yes, there's a lot of data for you to take in. Take it all in. And I just want to show you the pace in which I operate and the presence in which I operate. So let me bring you into eye contact. And it's me being a stand for the way that I plan on being treated and desire to be treated with presence, mm-hmm. with your your best foot forward, with your gentleman forward. So yeah, the tea and the intentions, and then typically on a second date, like bringing them over some for some tantric eye gazing. I had a guy bring me a dozen roses and we just like lightly gazed, grazed the roses on our body, classic tantric practice, and just just really bringing that feminine touch and bringing them into my world and how I operate. Mm-hmm. It, I love that you are like your home is the temple. And right. it's like these these Tinder guys get to come in and they're walking into, they don't even know it, but they're walking into the Dawn Temple, <laughs> Temple of the Dawn. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's it's true that a lot of these guys fall immediately in love with you. And you have a power that you've had to like really be careful with also of like how much you give these people right off off the bat because they'll be like, I'm in love. And that's the, that is such a beautiful thing about like feminine radiance and the men in our world, like the average men are so hungry for it. They're so, 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 so hungry for it. And so when they get this delicious taste of presence and of softness and being also led into those states with with someone that they don't really even know, it's like immediately off the bat creating this culture of luscious priestess beauty. And they get to either rise and meet you there or, you know, they'll fuck off. But, you know, a lot of the men that you've dated have been like, like, yes immediate yes to the assignment. Yeah. Yeah. I have gotten to be careful with that power because a lot of men are starving for that appreciation. And I I remember reading Artists in Love and reading the case studies and reading the examples of the way you do get to be creative and feeling permission that Mm. I could bring these parts of myself and I could create experiences and I could also play outside of what is the safe zone Hmm. and what is comfortable for me in order to create closeness and intimacy. And yeah, I was just really deeply impacted by the archetypes and stretching into an archetype of like, I want to be that woman. Could I be that woman tonight? Hmm. And practicing being her and in the practice becoming her. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It is a choice to step into that way before you naturally feel that. Mm -hmm. And that's a piece I think gets very confusing for a lot of women. If I don't feel like this seductress or I don't feel like Black Widow or I don't feel like Maleficent or I don't feel like whatever archetype is alive that you want to feel, not naturally feeling it is not a reason to not step into it. It is the enactment that teaches you how to become that. Can you share your little story about the poem? I've written about this in my um, in my newsletter, but I would just love to hear it from you because I think it's a really good example of a very simple way to be creative in love. Of course. So right when I landed in Austin, I ordered this book, Artist in Love, and I it was one of those books for me that once I opened it, I could not put it down. It was like, this is the secret source code of what I've been wanting to learn around dating. And I read other books, Calling in the One and Get the Guy. This was the feminine approach to the artistry, which mm. was 
also edgy for me. You've been edgy for me as a friend. Mm. Just the self-expression, the theatrical performance. Y'all, if you haven't seen her reels, which I'm sure you have, this woman goes there. Mm. She does the thing in the name of artistry. So I was like, tell me what you got, Madeline Moon. And this was back when Executive Country Boo just came into my life. And I was smitten with him. We met and I'm like, wow, he has this fancy, high, high level executive job. He's he's just like really blew me away and I hadn't been blown away in a while. Mm. And when we originally started chatting, we kind of got busy and the the date didn't happen right away. The text thread went a little bit cold. And I remember reading the book Artist of Love and giving ideas to send a little bit of poetry and like tease and be tantalizing and 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 call the energy in with your feminine allure. So when I'd fe- felt the text thread go a bit cold because we were having some scheduling issues, I knew that he was like really into um he was into the dynamics of like dom and sub play and that was like a a creative expression for him like he's a woodworker and built this <laughs> he built this piece of furniture in his room where it's like a harness where you could be um like tied up and then when it flips around it's a mirror so it's like a convertible harness mirror so it like it looks like a piece of furniture and then when you flip it around it's a harness i didn't know about this okay wow yeah so that's he was into that were you on the board were you i was the- on the board I was on the board. It's very fun. He activated a lot of those things for me. Oh that I, I realized how much I liked that play. Mm. And we were both switches. Mm. So we both did Dom and Sub. I did. And he did. Mm. So it was like really. It was so good for you. So good. Yeah. So I knew just a tiny bit that was an interest for him. So I leaned on that. And I found like I Googled a poem about the woman being a sub. It was like this very sexy, erotic poem. And I took a snippet that I liked that was really steamy and I sent it to him, which I'd never done before. That never would have been a thought of mine to just lean into a thing and find the artistry. But this book really gives you so many ideas of how to do that. I sent it to him and his response back was, I'm on the edge of my seat. I can't wait to meet you. Would you like to meet Thursday or Saturday or Monday? Mm. <laughs> like immediately like moving it forward leadership. or scheduling it. Yeah. yeah. Energy. You brought the energy and then he followed through with the leadership. This is evocation. So you're evoking within him the very thing that you're craving to feel from him. You're craving to feel his leadership like just take charge of the schedule you know like with women we're just like it's so easy you like just schedule the thing but instead of i'll just do it for us you could have been like let's just do thursday at blah 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 time you could have just led but instead you evoked his leadership by Mm -hmm. bringing the bringing the spice bringing the energy and sometimes it's as simple as that so it's as simple as like a snippet of a poem to make the, to bring the evocation, to evoke within them the, the nutrient, the quality that you're craving. Which I just love that example because it's so simple and it's so like anybody can do that. And when it worked, I was like, Madeline, <laughs> you're a genius. Yes. And I felt so proud of myself, too, because I could see how I affected that dynamic. And I really deeply want to be in my feminine mm-hmm. and I want to be the artist of love. And I have a very strong male energy. Mm-hmm. I'm incredibly capable of planning the whole date, making it the best date ever and getting it on the calendar and getting the best reso, all the things. Right. Mm-hmm. Very capable of doing that. And 
I don't want to. Right. It's not my desire. It's not my turn on. I really deeply want a space to be feminine and relax into my feminine and Mm. trust the masculine leadership. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've found, or I guess I should ask, have you found that it is a moment to moment conscious choice you have to make to not lead? Absolutely. Because that muscle is so strong because I'm, I'm leading my whole life right now. I'm leading the business, the real estate portfolio, the life. All It's very natural for me to generate and to lead. So it, yeah, it definitely takes a practice to, to trust a man's leadership. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've been working with because I'm new to living with my partner and I speak on the feminine, I teach about the feminine, I know, know, know all about the feminine, but the actual practice sometimes of releasing control is really challenging because the irony is as women, like we're, our goal is to surrender leadership and control. And we are also aware of all the things happening at once. And we can do everything at once. Like we can talk about something at the same time that we wash the dishes and we play with the dog with a ball on the floor. Like we can do all these things, whereas men are really just one thing at a time. And so I've been really noticing one of the things that's been a little challenging with my relationship is uh, micromanaging. Like I want the dog, our little new puppy to be fed the particular kind of way that I know he needs to be fed. And you need to give him half of a treat, not one treat when he goes potty. Like there's all these little things that are very specific that can very easily become overwhelming to the masculine nervous system. And for me, it's like, this is, this is just the way life is, right? Everything is a detail. Everything is a detail. Uh, Where the socks go is a very specific detail. (laughs) How the dogs play and where they play and what time they play and what time they go outside. It's an hour after playtime. Like all of this is very specific. And it's been a practice for me in this new evolution of our relationship to notice when I'm just like spitting fire on the specifics that are not important. And that's a new thing that I'm learning, like how to be um, um, creative and living together. Like every kind of manifestation of the relationship is a new invitation for being an artist of it, an artist of living together. Um, And then eventually an artist of conception and an artist of like, um, living together for 20 years or whatever it may be. And yeah. I felt that when I went to your house. Your house is so beautiful and live in the dream. Just such a role model of what I'm calling in. And when I went to your bathroom and it was his and hers, such a beautiful bathroom, so beautifully, meticulously organized, his and hers. And it just took me a moment. I was like, oh, the his and hers thing is coming. Mm. Like the sharing of the space with a man. I haven't done that since like 10 years Mm. I haven't lived with a man Mm. and I just felt that for a moment of like what do I get to give up in the control because I live alone everything is exactly where I put it and it's exactly how I do things and just feeling that awareness that that gets to shift and Mm -hmm. I get to have a lot of grace by merging with somebody else and some of those particularities may Mm -hmm. dissolve over time hopefully Mm -hmm. dissolve over time Mm -hmm. habit changing in that regard is really challenging for me I grew up with OCD I had undiagnosed unsupported OCD and I'd have panic attacks about like when the housekeeper would come over and she would always move my bed over three inches, like my entire bed. She'd move it over so that she could like, cause it was touching the wall. I liked it touching the wall. She'd move it over. And then so she could like put the comforter down all the way. And I would have panic attacks because that was moved. My picture frame was moved when she dusted. 
And, you know, I got yelled at for that from my parents, like, why aren't you normal? And so as an adult, done a lot of work on it, really have shape-shifted those tendencies. And it's been great to have this new puppy because like we have a doggy gate and we have like toys everywhere and thing puppy pads are around the place. So I'm really practicing letting go of <laughs> everything being in its perfect place because I know not only do I have to have that in place to have harmony in the house with my beloved, but also with a kid, with a child. Like I have a white couch. I'm not going to be able to hold on to this white couch most likely. And mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm wide enough to see these things, but the actual releasing of those control or to stop my my mouth from talking before I correct something about feeding the dog or whatever, changing that pattern takes slowing down so much. And every every layer of deepening in the relationship, checking in with that, checking in with where am I micromanaging. So I'd love to hear about your um your like this this next stage of your life as you are calling in the one and you're also so ready for baby life. You're so ready for family. And what does that feel like for you right now to be so, I'm here, I've got the queendom, I've got the goodies, I've got the priestess practice, I'm ready. And to be in the practice of manifesting and I don't even like the word waiting, but just being patient with that manifestation. Oh, yes, love. This is such a practice of trusting divine timing. And my timing, I feel ready. Like, why wasn't I pregnant yesterday? Mm. There's this very real biological impulse. And I felt it when I turned 34 more than any other age where my womb wants to carry a baby. It is just the animal instinct within me. But also the desire and the call to be a mother Mm. and not – my vision for a mother is is to create the most regulated, healthy human being that I could possibly create that has the best chance at life to come here and bring the consciousness. Like that is the context for which I am procreating. Hmm. And I want every single part of it to be witchy and intentional from procreation to the conception moment to the pregnancy, the gestation, the birth, the, the delivery. I am so excited to be in labor. I just, I feel like I've prepared for that moment for my body to do that and meet the pain and meet the opening and Mm. that shamanic medicine journey of actually being in labor, bring it on. So yeah, I feel, I feel the longing and it is a very constant practice to be okay in the longing Mm. and not to look at my life through the lens of something's missing because I've worked really hard in my maiden phase of life to build the life that I have now and have Mm. the comforts and the spaciousness and the time freedom that I have now. I've put a lot into becoming Jolie, the divine mother, and setting myself up to win. Mm -hmm. I just got a flash of our France pilgrimage next Mm. year where we're going to go be in the lands of Mary Magdalene and call upon the energies of the divine mother and the Isis energy And, you know, I've been I've been musing on this because I know an important historically an important part of manifestation is detaching from the outcome and being open to it being different. And maybe life doesn't have this for you, but it has this for you. And so I've just been feeling like, how could I have such a readiness and a yearning and a longing and also detach from the outcome? It's kind of been this like mental trickery lately Mm. for me. How does the releasing of that dream Mm -hmm. work into your daily life? Do you stop yourself when you're like, I want a baby? Do you 
pause? Do you slow down? Do you let go of the constant thinking about it or desire for it? What is the what is the letting it go actually look like in your life? Well, I've been making space to be around babies. Like I have a few friends with babies and I make sure I take Fridays off and go drive the distance and be with them and clock the hours. So just like being around baby helps. You're a popular godmother. I'm a popular Everyone wants you. I've got two god babies. Two two god babies and um, four nieces and nephews and cousins. And I I really show up for the children. And you're wanted by uh, pregnant mothers to play crystal music and like I definitely want you whenever I'm pregnant to be in the space and play your crystal bowl and put a wine like a drop of wine on my forehead and give me a little wine blessing and be like oh alchemy that's so sweet (laughs) yes yes and so as a in, in the practice I remember a couple nights ago this came up for me where it was a new moon and I was doing some release and I wrote down like I was like having a little God tantrum moment. I was like, fine, God, if I'm not meant to be a mother, then take the desire from me. Why do I have this desire? And then I'm like, I'm going to start planning the next 10 years without being a mom. Being a brat (laughs) to God. I'll show you, God. I'm just going to create the most epic life I can imagine with motherhood not being a part of the vision. And as soon as I even like let myself create a reality where children weren't a part of my journey, I just felt this like pit in my stomach of like, that's not true for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I genuinely don't know how I would be fulfilled in life without children. It's just such a real longing and a deep knowing that that's part of my legacy and part of like my own healing. We always want to give our children the life we didn't have. And I feel so equipped to mm-hmm. set them up. I feel so equipped. And I can also, beyond that, I can feel and I'm in communication with the baby souls. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's just an interesting like rule of manifestation. Like you can't want it too much Mm. and you got to release it. So I think for me, it's more about releasing the timing, trusting that my man is coming and trusting that when he comes in that moment of union, everything will make sense Mm. of how met I feel with him. I know that he's going to bring me a level of feeling met that I've never felt before. Mm. I know that to be true. And it's going to make sense of why we're procreating together. Like, I don't, I personally don't believe that we actually need more humans on planet Earth. Like, we're at, we're almost at 8 billion. We've never had this many on Earth. And why are we bringing children in? Why? What's the purpose of them being here? For me, having a clear purpose and intention, not procreating just to procreate because I have a need that I want to fill, which that's there too. But like, what am I actually giving as a legacy and a gift to planet Earth? Mm -hmm. What kind of consciousness am I able to carry through my body and give? And that's why I'm doing that work now with Mm. getting that crystalline as close as I can to that crystalline energetic so that that star being can come through. Star being, star baby. You're definitely going to have a star baby. What is your ideal situation as a woman being a mother? Do you want to not work? Do you want to work less? Do you want to work just as much? I'm just curious because it's something really on my mind lately. I mean, I could turn off all the live coaching that I'm doing and still bring in six figures just on the passive products that I have. Mm-hmm. So I'll always be bringing in some money. I love making money. It's a it's an yeah. art form for me. And it's, it's a nutrient that, for you. Yeah, something I'm really good at. I My deepest desire from where I'm standing in this moment is to be out-earned by my partner. That feels important. It feels true for me. It feels like 
It's an, I feel myself like, oh, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> am I allowed to claim that? Yes. Yes, I'm going to claim that. I he would makes like more be, money. He makes, makes more money. I would like my man to make more money than me. And I make mm. a lot of money. Yeah. And I create a lot. So the, the bar is kind of set high. I've earned more than anybody that I've dated in 10 years. Mm. And I would love to just feel really safe financially to to have morning sickness and to need to tend to my body and to birth a human into the world. I would love to go into a little hibernation where it was just my baby that needed me versus how many people in the external yes. need me. Yes. Yeah. 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 I wonder if that also that experience of letting go of others needing you, like even even getting ready now, yes. if that's a part of your manifestation yes. practice of even now, where do you start to maybe care a little less mm -hmm. about you, your thing isn't like being famous or being known. It's like more so dialing it in with those people that you do serve and like growing your generational wealth. But even there, like um, practicing the art as if and I think this is kind of going all over the place, but I think that this is a big piece of focus over force with manifestation, because in the Esther Hicks world. Not that I'm a pro, but I've <laughs> been like really getting into Esther Hicks whenever I feel like I have a dip in my manifestation skills. She talks so much about focus, just mm -hmm. focus, focus, focus. And part of focus is feeling what it is you want here right now. So going back to the thing you were saying about not wanting it, I wonder, just remember my thought, like I, I wonder if that could be creating a little bit of a mind game with you about not wanting it too much. And instead, I wonder what would happen if you traded a little bit of that out for like forgetting the not wanting it, but just focusing on feeling it mm -hmm. right now and just sticking mm -hmm. with that. And part of the initiation into motherhood being, I'm talking as if I know, I don't know any, it's what I'm moving through right now of letting go of some of the you know, with the new year coming up, new year, starting over with how much we make a year, you know, that feeling where it's like it's January 1st and you're starting from square one with your income for that year. And even in that moment, breathing into I'm at zero and it's okay, like taking that moment in time at January 1st to start the year off with noticing all the ways you want to like create all the money and create all the impact and just letting a little bit of it go. And feeling the essence of life as a little more important, as baby as a little more important, as family as a little more important. Speaking to myself right now, but for any soon-to-be new mamas or calling in those experiences, what how how amazing it would be if we all incorporated that into our conscious conception a year before it happened, yes. months before it happened, doing that work before so that once they come, mm -hmm. there's a more like like that part has been worked on. Absolutely. I it's I'm being initiated big time. You know a little bit about what's been happening and there's even more to share. The identity of who I've created and the worth and mm. the value from which my identity has been created has just been just being worked and stretched mm. and shattering and rebuilt. And my friend had a really interesting pers perspective. She had her baby girl at 42. And she had her son at 35, and she ha struggled with a lot of postpartum depression at 35 mm. because she wasn't prepared. The baby came suddenly as a surprise, and she hadn't worked on the identity shift of becoming a mother mm. and being so meaningful to the outside world and 
what her identity had been built on as a, a very successful chef and entrepreneur. And then she knew with her second and what that identity shift already was. And she had zero part, postpartum depression. And I don't, I'm not here to speak on the clinical uh, impacts of postpartum depression, but what I know is that working on the identity now and being okay with your purpose of the day was 12 hours on the couch breastfeeding mm. is very different than the purpose and what you get in that feedback loop from impacting 20 people that day and the cash registers ringing and people are like, you've changed my life, Jolie. I'll never be the same. Like how much affirmation I've received in my maiden era where I was so meaningful to so many people, specifically helping them build their businesses and their marketing. And I get to be perfectly content with my purpose of the day was being home and breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different life. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some I've, I've been past month, I mean, really past like three weeks, I've been Sitting a lot with it sounds I like saying it out loud. I'm like, oh, that sounds so stupid. But it's true. Since I was a child, I was affirmed constantly like you're going to be a household name. You're going to be famous. You're going to be you're going to you are going to be famous. Like, oh, yeah, I just like kind of brought up to be to feel like that about myself, like to feel like I'm a performer. Or my personality is outstanding. Like it's part of, you know was part of the message I received. And also I had a lot of trauma around performance and about shining bright. So it's just been a big part of my dharma around teaching people how to express. It all feeds into that. And I've realized lately that sometimes I get a little bit insecure or a little mm, when someone shines brighter than me. It's been a thing. I've been like really looking at if someone is a little bit more priestessy at a party, if someone talks more than me, if someone shines brighter than me, I have insecurities come up about like, um, what does that mean if I'm not that? You know, <laughs> sounds so. I mean, I really feel like this is so old, but it's coming up more now because I am starting to switch a little bit in my how I how I see myself, my identity. That if I really want to be this thing that I talk about, being a devotional wife, I have to love when my partner shines. I have to support when he shines, shines brighter than me, shines bigger than me. And he's been such a teacher for me and in this. he's a shiny being. He's a shiny, <laughs> shiny being. And like I have, I've had several experiences, Burning Man included, where, you know, hundreds of people showed up to see him teach. My thing was like 20 people and, like, you know, it's beautiful. And I was also like, <sighs> like just ego, just. <sighs> and when he um, shines brighter than me, sometimes I just have these feelings of like, well, fuck it. I won't do, you know, I just start to want to give up on everything. Mm. And it's a re it's a reaction. It's not a it's me being by effect rather than cause rather than I'm going to shine and like. I'm going to have this many people join my programs. I'm going to have this many people listen to my podcast. And I'll just take whatever happens. I compare in my head. And then I'm living in a way and reaction to that comparison rather than just like in my core. And that's come to surface the past month, really looking at that because I'm annoyed with it. And that's not the way I want to be. And it's not my highest self. And it's not what I want to be like as a mother for my child because I want my child to shine more than me. So I'm grieving 
the fame. And to some people, it's like, you did that. You know, I have I have had success. I've had a lot of success um, starting at the age of 18. And what I noticed is it was never enough. And it never would be enough. And by by really having a moment to have concentrated time to sit with that ego death and grieve it, I think that a lot will be processed through so that whatever success I have, it's enough. It's perfect. It's beautiful. The success my partner has, it's beautiful. And I can't wait to praise it and love it. Success of my child, like, and and me not needing to get all that, those dopamine hits from being, have a great video and get all this. And like, you know, it's just, it's an exhausting hamster wheel to stay with. And I can already feel that the initiation of having a child is going to just rip all of those faux satiating things from life. And it's best to start doing the work now to see what really is important. And it's always love. It's always love. It's safe nervous systems. It's regulation. It's giving the thing we never got as kids. And it's a it's a slightly brutal process. And it's also so, you know, such a privileged process to grieve not being as famous as I wanted to be. But it's important nonetheless. Like, it's still important. Nothing, I think our culture has gotten into trouble by feeling guilty for some of the things we have to grieve being champagne problems or however we call them. But they're in your body nonetheless. Like, grieve it, look at it, make it important so that it doesn't get legally passed on and it doesn't come out in more destructive ways. So we have to stop judging the, the things that we do need to grieve and heal because they're all here for a reason. They're all meant to be worked through for a reason. So much wisdom there. You know, we're a part of a generation, Madeline, where we are waiting. Look around our friend circle. Mm. I know my most all of my friend circles through the years were in similar that I'm on the same age range with have waited to be a mother. They've waited now we're into our 30s. So it's like all this time, all this time. Okay, now we're starting that process. We're doing it intentionally. We're shedding away the layers of identity and in self-importance. And I I feel like I was only ready up until this point. Like I wasn't ready before. And I feel like I'm going to be able to enjoy the journey and see the preciousness in it. And, you know, I hear this thing from moms that the days are long and the years are short and that goes by quickly. So you just treasure those moments being at home, breastfeeding, being in the domestic life when you used to have this big, shiny outward life. And I'm with you. I really feel the initiation has already started. Hmm. The mother initiation has started. I'm in it. I'm already in that transition. And there's just so much, so much trust in the journey that is unfolding in the way that it's meant to. Hmm. Hmm. It's so beautiful. I love being on this journey with you. Same. Having parallel journeys and same. Being able to um, yeah, it's just such a gift to be able to go alongside these really important initiations together. Jolie and I have a small group inside of Austin that meets, it's like our, it's our core main group of friends and we have commitments to each other. We meet every other week. And by having that kind of structure, we are really up to date with everything that's happening in each other's lives. And even in the past like week and a half since I've seen you, I know there's more that's happened and I can't wait to be updated on that. And <laughs> it's so important when we're going into these um, 
new parts of our life with relationship and babies and death and rebirth and being able to be held in these experiences and having these places we can talk about the 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 brutalness of shape-shifting and letting things go and learning and growing and being really um, aware of the things that we want to create in our life and being very meticulous with creating that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to do like a totally impromptu, not planned, quick fire round of questions. Ooh, let's do it. But I have to think of them as we go. Okay, great. Okay. Number one, if your sex life was an animal, what animal would it be? Oh, big cat for sure. Some sort of uh, jaguar. Jaguar. (laughs) If you were any archetype, and you can make one up, you know, Mm. queen, priestess, oracle, or also like sexy librarian Mm. or uh, sacred ratchet brat, whatever, you can make it up. What would you be uh, in this era? Mm. Mm. I would be the archetype of fully expressed theater girl. Ooh, Ooh front, I love front that. woman. I love that. Yes. If you could sit down and have dinner with any deity, any deity, and ask one question, what deity would you have dinner with? What one question would you ask over the entire dinner? I would bring Jesus to dinner, mm. and I would ask him, how do we fix the story of Jesus on planet Earth mm. right now? That is powerful. I love this one. Yeah, that's good. What land do you have no ancestry roots to, but feel deeply spiritually connected with? Mm, Africa. I guess we all have ancestry to Africa, but I'm 100% European minus 0.1% Coptic Egyptian. So, you know, we all started in Africa, the original seed human, and I just feel deeply connected to the land there and the Mm. culture and the people and the spirit. And it calls me deeply. I've been planning my trip to the Serengeti. Oh, wow. What are you going to do there? See the animal. Oh, the sounds, big cats. <laughs> oh my gosh, that sounds so safari. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like one of those once in a lifetime things. It does not have to be once in a lifetime, but it has the essence of once in a lifetime. Like you capture that moment. You you go there and you're fully present. What is the first thing you notice in an attractive man? Mm, his confidence. Hmm. Yeah, that is something you can feel from far away. Yeah. You can see it in the body. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> what? Uh, mm. If you could... If you had any other career than the career that you have today, mm. totally different, can't even be in the coaching field, Ooh. what would it be? My gosh. 
Can I like have a talent that I don't have? Yeah. Oh, I would be a professional singer mm. and a songwriter. Mm. And I would be expressing the depths of the human experience through the poetry of songwriting. Yes. Do you sing? No. You should take lessons. I have before. You know, it just doesn't quite hit. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. I think there is a lot of natural talent mm -hmm. involved in singing. Yes. I started singing lessons because I was very much wanting to get on board with singing as well. What I have found is that I am shit when I sing, when I'm not singing through like deep devotion to whatever I'm singing to. Oh. So just a tip. All right. When you sing, like visualize Yeshua or Mary Magdalene and like sing those lyrics to them. And I bet you anything, it'll shift. Yeah, because mantra singing is so different, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if I sing a Sam Cooke song, I have the same experience because like Sam Cooke is just like everything is so soulful. And so I'm singing to love itself and it comes out differently than when I sing pretty much anything else. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What is one book everybody must read? Mm, I feel like one of the early ones that really deeply impacted me was Conversations with God because it helped me understand a much more expanded version of what God is beyond what I had been brought up in my Christian upbringing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I never got that. But I remember I never I remember like bringing it up to someone in my family and then being like, don't read that because I come from a very Baptist family and it was very sacrilegious. Yes. very. But I've heard beautiful things about that book and it's on my list. Mm -hmm. OK, because you're Joliedon, what is one thing that all women should start taking seriously in the world of generational wealth? Invest in real estate. I mean, figure out how to make money, right? That's the first step so that you can save the down payment. And I will just say that if you've never experienced living in a home that you own, do that for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of time, effort, and energy to figure out how to make that reality real for myself. You know, it was a, a decade-long process to figure out how to have consistent revenue and then get my books together and hire mentors. And it was an extensive process for me. And the peace and the relaxation of living in the home that I own, decking it out as my queendom, and then owning two doors down an investment property that makes a little money every month but is appreciating. And just something about the realness of hard assets. And so step one, find something that you love doing that you can make money consistently at. And step two, invest in real estate. Hmm. Yeah. I second that. <laughs> I second that. I'm so glad that I wasn't I allowed myself to be inspired by you because mm -hmm. it changed the trajectory of like my capacity just uh -huh. you have to stretch in order to have I mean especially oh, my yeah. house. Oh, <laughs> I've yeah. had just so many things happen with my house that I've had to stretch to be able to like rise to the occasion, but with proper strategizing and uh, planning and like caring about your assets, I think every woman, yeah, every woman should have a property. And and then I told a friend about it and then she bought one. <gasps> Yay! Yeah, it's like a ripple effect. She was like, you bought a house, I think I might do that. And she ended up buying a little condo in New Jersey. Aww. <laughs> and then immediately sold it out because she did not want to live in New Jersey. But uh -huh. yeah, but it was very inspiring. 
That's beautiful. And my very last thing is I want to tell everybody that Jolie hosts the most incredible, one-of-a-kind, like OG summits called Dare to Prosper. I was on it last year. And this woman has dialed in this process of, I don't even want to call it a summit. It's like, it's like this full immersive experience of women gathering. Thousands, thousands are inside of the Facebook group and she holds you so meticulously through this process of learning how to prosper with hypnosis and embodiment and bringing in guest speakers and having home play practices and taking like sometimes when you do these kind of summits it's like a jumble of all this stuff at once and you really take people through this arc so that where they start is different from where they end Mm -hmm. and uh, when I say OG, I mean, this is this is the woman that teaches people how to do mm-hmm. events like this that are not just events for like building lists. They are events for change. They are immersed experiences for change and leaving people better than, than you found them. And I really admire you for that. And I want people to be on the radar of your next event. Thank for sure. You. That's so yeah. kind. So we do it live in March. Next one will be in March. And it's such a like soul baby of mine that I've perfected over the last six years, and it's 10 days of hypnosis. And so I guide you into a deeply relaxed state so that you can have a firsthand experience of your own scarcity blocks mm-hmm. and where we picked them up and how to release them and how to create an entirely new future vision of prosperity. It's deep. It's shamanic. It's a medicine journey. It's a commitment. And it's totally free. And it's something I love doing and loving giving to the world. And over 10,000 people have gone through it at this point, which is amazing. And it would be an honor to share that with you. I do it live once a year, and then it's available all year for you to go through at your own pace as well. Jolie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Madeline. This was so fun. Thank you. So fun. I just felt like we were having a sauna chat. A sauna chat. You're wonderful, Madeline. Thank you for inspiring me so Mm. greatly and others and being this just devoted, embodied, full range woman that Mm. I receive so much from being up close Mm. and having as a close friend in my Mm. life. Thank you, my love. Thank you for showing me what it's like to live a life of so much gratitude. Mm-hmm. Like you're just oozing gratitude for everything in your life. And it's been so deeply inspiring to me to see how prosperity comes from this generous gratitude mm-hmm. heart. So I'm so grateful for you. So grateful. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the Madeline Moon Show. Such a pleasure to have Jolie here today. If you enjoyed this, we would love, love, love a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. And be sure to stay tuned. In two weeks, we will have another episode out on iTunes and Spotify. Sending so much love to all of you. Until next time. Bye. Mm